All right, good morning, good birds. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and I am Brother Marty Leeds, your pastor, your minister. Um, thank you all for being here this morning. And we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's why you're here. So we appreciate everybody that does show up, the tiny church that we have here, the small flock of good birds that we have. Thank you for being here. Um, today we're going to do, we're going to start into the book of John, actually. We've done the entire book of Mark and the entire book of Matthew within the last couple of years. The occult and the whole thing, line by line, verse by verse. And so I figured let's start into the book of John because I know that um, people are sort of itching for Revelation and that's kind of hard to do. As I realized, it's kind of hard to do the book of Revelation without doing the book of John first. So this is going to be a long one. Like I started putting this together. It's taken me about two days and, and I got in. I, I think I had like 100 graphics by the time I was on verse 20. So this, there's so much happening here, and there's so many things to cover. And a lot of this will be review, but it's sort of necessary to do because we're covering, you know, we're starting fresh here, so I want to set a good foundation. So we're doing the book of John, chapter 1, part 1, and this is called The Word Made Flesh, and this is uh, episode 106 of the Sunday services. So before we launch into this, like I said, this is probably going to be a long one today. Might even go like two and a half or three hours or something like that just to get through 20 verses because there is so much happening here. So... And we want to be thorough. We want to be Henry David. So before we get going, though, let's do a prayer. And this is the prayer. This is a prayer for St. John the Baptist. O God, who willed that St. John the Baptist should go ahead of your son both in his birth and in his death, grant, grant that as he died a martyr for truth and justice, we too may fight hard for the confession of what you teach through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so it looks like, um, all right, we got, uh, what, 64 trickling in here on the YouTubes and some people over on Rockman, so that's awesome. So so like I said, we're going to jump into the book of John, and we're just going to go ahead and launch into it. And like I said, we'll see how far I get today. I planned on doing essentially the first 20 verses, but you'll see once we get into this, it's like I might get through five verses today. We'll see how it goes. So, um, so let's first just read the first few verses here and then we're going to stop and we're going to go through the first five verses here like very meticulously okay so um john chapter one book one saint johnny boy number one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not so a lot being said in these first very like famous sort of five verses really talking about the word and in the beginning and all that sort of stuff so let's just start and let's just do number 1 okay so in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so the first thing we're going to say is, first thing we're going to discuss is the fact that we're starting a book of John. We're talking about John here, and we're supposed to understand this as, a, as a, you know, allegedly, right, that this was a story that happened 2,000 years ago, right? And here we're opening the book of John, and where are we? We're right at the beginning. So allegedly, this is a story that's supposed to, supposedly happened like several thousand years ago, whatever it is, and then we open the book of John, and we're at the beginning of all creation. Why? Why? 
As we know, as we've said many times before, the Bible doesn't have any history dates, has you know any dates of history and that sort of thing, whether it's his birth, his death, who the people were born, things like that. Now we're given a story about a, a specific point in time. We're never told what that time is, and then yet it's related right back to the beginning of all creation. Why? Because as we like to say, the Bible, the stories of the Bible are timeless, okay? This actually comes from a, b- a book I was kind of thumbing through the last couple of days, Manly Palmer Hall, The Mystic Christ. Pretty good. It says this, Countless books have been written about the life of Jesus and the significance of his ministry. As we survey the mass of literature, it becomes evident that Jesus was the most controversial personality in the history of our race. Although most of the writings are reverent and respectful, there are some calculated or disillusion or prejudice um, there are some calculated to disillusion or prejudice the mind and a few dedicated to the proposition that Jesus never existed and that the whole story of his life is a pious fabrication. Each author proves his case to his own satisfaction, of course, but not always to the satisfaction of the readers. And basically what he's saying is, is there's loads of people that come and say, Jesus never, list, li- never lived. And then other people say, well, no, he lived 2,000 years ago. And then they bring up their own, you know, their own quote-unquote proofs. And the end of the day, None of them, at least in my mind, are satisfactory, proving or disproving that sort of thing. The difficulties are due primarily to the lack of historical records, and that we know is true. The accounts contained in the gospel still remain the only source of biographical material, and fragments gathered elsewhere are without general acceptance. The four gospels, we've been through two of them, we're on to the third one now. The four gospels contain conflicting statements. You know, when we talked about before that there's lots of Christians that are saying, oh, there's no contradictions in the Bible, literalists and that sort of thing. It's like, no, there's tons. There's tons in there there specifically. The four Gospels have these contradictions, conflicting statements. The four Gospels contain conflicting statements which are not easy to reconcile. They're not. These inconsistencies encourage criticism which more solid scholarship for lack of evidence is unable to meet. Even the most orthodox readers are perplexed when they attempt to synthesize the available reports. It seems almost incredible that a man like Jesus, with such dynamic spiritual and social convictions and able to perform miraculous acts, should have left so slight an impression on the pages of history. Nor was this due to the lack of historians, for lesser events of the same period have been fully recorded. This is one of the things we've talked about in, in, in um, you know, really to sort of uh, like contradict or go after people like that have this apostolic succession things like that you have saints from your own orthodox church that have dates of their birth and their death and their writings and they're writing about jesus and the and the you know the saints and the disciples and none of the records were kept for any of them not their sisters not their brothers not their cousins when they were born when they died none of it now, anybody that has a reasonable mind that, that can analyze and use critical thinking and discernment skills say, hey, we got a problem here. It's not like there were a lack of historians. So why is there no history to Jesus? Why are we lacking such historical evidence? Well, as you, as you can see here, Manly Palmer Hall was saying there's four different aco- accounts. Even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can't agree. These are allegedly people that were with the dude. Right, and there's the accounts, and they can't even agree with one another. What does that tell you? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who were right, who are telling the tale of Jesus Christ. They don't even agree with one another. For instance, the the centurion that's standing over Jesus, they don't even record what he says correctly. Right? There's what three different accounts or whatever it is. So shouldn't that tell you something about the ability to record history in the first place? 
This is where the Bible is actually telling you about greater lessons, about the inability to even make any sort of linear record of history. It's an impossibility. It's always from a perspective, and this is exactly what the books are telling you. So, are we supposed to view this as a history book? No. No. This actually comes from... Uh, I believe this comes from Wilmhurst. It says, The composition of the Gospels is the work of men who must have been experts in literature, it was, as well as in spiritualities, who doubtless were supreme artists in the consequence of their spiritual illumination, without, indeed, no great art is possible. Amen. They were master mystics, gifted as every mystic is, proportionally to his illumination, with poetic instincts and with capacity for imagery and felicitous, felicitous expression of the highest order. Whilst the records themselves gradually reveal less and less a historical narrative and more and more a series of symbolic picture, pictures imagining forth under the guise of the biography of an individual, the drama of the soul's career and providing for all who aimed at the knowledge of the supreme verities, a prototypal and archetypal chart of man's inner life and destiny. And that's what the scriptures are. They're an inner chart of the man's inner life, or it's a chart of man's inner life in his destiny, his spiritual enfoldment. That, but then he goes on to say this, and this is what I'll agree with, right? That our Lord, that a historical Jesus stands behind these literary, literary glyphs, and his presence in the world was their inspiration and cause, that he was the model from which they were drawn and the motive power behind their production and eventual publication to the world is undoubted. So Wilmhurst is saying exactly what I've said before. It isn't to say that there wasn't some man named Jesus Christ or a figure that these stories are related or based on. Most great literature is based on the author's own experience, whether it's a you know concocted or fabricated or fictionalized or you know that sort of stuff always is. But it isn't to say it isn't based on something. And he goes on to say that you know this is well we're not saying that there wasn't some dude. We're but we are saying that what was written about him becomes mythology becomes fabrication becomes a, a fictionalized account and really what those accounts are are all about the inner workings of the spiritual man okay and he goes on to say um that uh, it's basically is there any written record okay well no there's not there's no historical proof of this and he goes on to say it is far less prudent as well as far less moment far less moment to insist upon the Gospels being literally and historically true of him than to realize that they are or should be suffered to become symbolically and spiritually true of our individual selves. So it becomes less and less a point of, oh, what did this really happen in history? And saying, okay, what do these stories mean? And what they are is a total enfoldment, unfoldment of your spiritual life. It's Jesus's ministry is internal, as uh, Hall goes on to say. <clears throat> If this ministry be understood as an internal growth, it is no longer remarkable that history preserves only the consequences, for these alone are manifest. And he goes on to say there's 72 disciples corresponding with the six elders who were chosen from each of the tribes. Jesus equals 72, just so you know. The man of soul draws from the 12 powers which constitute the sum of human potential. The calling of these disciples is experienced as a natural part of mystical enfoldment. These powers or disciples were one with the light before the beginning of the world. They labored in darkness until they answered the call of the carpenter. So what they're saying is Wilmhurst, Manley Palmer Hall, Brother Marty Leeds are all saying the exact same thing. 
is that um, Gnosis reveals that these texts, well, the texts reveal them themselves, but, you know, a true Gnosis reveals that all of these texts are all about a spiritual unfoldment, an inner unfolding. And this is why you have the 12 disciples related to the Zodiac, okay? And so this is, so we're going to cover this when we talk about Jesus made flesh, when the Word was made flesh. So let's start. Uh, number one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So let's talk about number one. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, this is something we've talked numerous, numerous times before. But what is the Word? Well, the Word is is the same thing as the Aum in Hinduism. This comes from the Masonic Encyclopedia. The Aum, the Word, this magical syllable, this Word, this sound, this sound that is light, this, this vibration, this emanation that was at the beginning of creation is found in cultures around the world. Bar none, period, there's no question about it. A mystic syllable among the Hindus signifying the supreme God of gods, which the Brahmins from its awful and sacred meaning hesitate to pronounce aloud, and in doing so place one of their hands before their mouth as to deaden the sound. We'll talk about that in just a second uh, as we go on here. There's this trilateral name, it's a triune God, even even in the Hindu idea, there's there, God it has a, has three parts to him, if you will. This trilateral name of God, which is as sacred as among the Hindus as the Tetragrammaton is among the Jews, it's because it's the exact same thing, is composed of three Sanskrit letters sounding Aum. The first letter A stands for the creator, the second U for the preserver, and the third M for the destroyer or Brahman, Vishnu, and Shiva. Okay, and this is this syllable, this word that's that literally, um, you know, emanated out of the mouth of God in this sort of sense and created everything. And this is what Jesus is. The Aum, and that even there, you can even see, as we'll see this, we're going to relate this to Pi. What does that look like? It looks like a three with a tail swirling off it, as in 3.14159, etc., right? At the dawn of creation from emptiness, for, first emerged a syllable consisting of the three, three letters, A-U-M, the past, present, and future, all embodied within a singular word. So what is the word? What does this word represent? It represents the natural order. It represents the design of the creation. It represents that way, that pathway back to God. It represents purpose. It represents teleology. That's the most important thing, that everything ever from the very beginning to the very end and everything in between has a deep symbolic meaning and has intense purpose. It is reason, it's wisdom, it's incorruptible truth, it's supernatural. Um, the word, we find it all over the world. Once again, there's a, it's unquestionable. Uh, once again, I know this is some review, but the Egyptian book of the dead are going forth by day. says, I am the eternal, I am Ra, I am that which created the word. I am the word. The Egyptians had a word. The Aum, of course, we just talked about in the Hindus. The Sigur Brahmins, they had a word. It was in the beginning of creation, emptiness, nothing, and then all of a sudden a word came out. In the beginning was Brahman, who was, who was, with whom was the word, and the word was truly the supreme Brahman. Almost the exact same verbiage, too, right? This is, we'll, we'll cover this again, theory on out of light, a holy word descended on that nature, and upwards to the height from the moist nature leaped forth pure fire. Light was it, swift and active, too. He sent the cosmos of this frame divine man, a life that cannot die, yet a life that does die. That's Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. We also know, which is why, once again, it's so so sad that people, you know, don't actually investigate this stuff. The entirety of masonry, top to bottom, the entire mystery behind masonry, from of their rituals, their symbols, everything is about ultimately what? The pursuit of the lost Masonic word. 
So even masonry has this word at its core. We've also talked about Native Americans have discussed the fact that in the beginning there was a vibration, a sound, a light, an emanation from God. In other cases, and especially in North Central California, world creators are likely to be true creator gods, thinking the world into existence or bringing it forth with a word. So once again, when we talk about the universality, we talk about when we read the Bible, what we're actually looking at is axioms of truth that are universal, that are available to all people, that in comparative mythology we can find around the world. The word is also a concept in Anglo-Saxon culture for fate or personal destiny. It's supernatural. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. Excuse me. It means also to, as we're going to see, we're going to see this. Word in the Proto-Indo-European root is to twist, turning, rotate. Okay? When, as we're going to see today, when God spoke that word, we're going to see exactly where he spoke it from, where the word emanated from, and everything surrounding that is twisting and turning. Okay. This comes from Francis Ridley Habergall. Upon thy word I rest each pilgrim day. This golden staff is best for all the way. What Jesus Christ hath spoken cannot be broken. Upon thy word I rest, so strong, so sure, so full of comfort, blessed, so sweet, so pure, the charter of salvation, faith's broad foundation. Upon thy word I stand, that cannot die. Christ seals it in my hand. He cannot lie. Thy word that falleth never, abiding ever. And so this is this word even written about poetically. Now we talk about the fact that in the beginning was the word, and the word's with God, and the word was God. That we can see that when we talk about these things, these are parabolic, right? That these stories and all of the terms and things like that have considerations in the stars. They have considerations or correlations in math and geometry. And so we can actually point when, hey, when the Bible says in the beginning was the word, they're actually speaking about something that is universal. And that comes right from the language of math. And the universal language of mathematics, pi, represents the numeric word of God. And we'll show you why we make this correlation. We've done it before. We'll do it again. What is the word? The word represents what? Sound, vibration, frequency. Just when you speak a word, what is it, right? It's supernatural. Language isn't a physical thing. Neither is sound. Sound is like you can feel it physically. You can map it physically. You can record it, that sort of thing, right? Put it onto a physical you know, a CD, remember those things? And cassettes, remember those things? And all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's supernatural. So what does the word represent? The ultimate, um, you know, um, pinnacle of, of the supernatural nature of God. So what do we have behind this word? We have light, which is the visible world. We have a geometry. We have a number that's associated with that geometry. We also have the sound, vibration, frequency. And then, of course, everything else that comes with the word. Just the notion of the word itself. Like, hey, what is it? It's, it's design. It's natural order. It's purpose. It's consciousness. It's reason. It's wisdom. It's incorruptible truth. It is the logos and that's what that's what is um, called so when we say hey we're going to relate this word to pi and you say well why are you doing that it's not an opinion it's this is where it comes down to the fact that it's like with well, the things that i teach you guys are not the opinions of one brother marty leads i don't do that what we do is go right to the source and show you exactly why we're making these correlations so that you could make them yourself Right? So when God spoke this light, this emanation, this vibration, this sound, this geometry into creation, right? He spoke it, which means he's emanating out. He's emanating out his mouth. What? Um, he's obviously this design and purpose. So you know, he spoke it into creation. Well, this is 
pi is once again is is usually assumed to come from a pictogram of a mouth okay so when we look at in hebrew right when we say in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and that sort of thing and we look at it's like okay what is god speaking with his mouth and what is mouth associated with pi in hebrew 100 percent. okay the word pay meaning mouth is used in much the same fashion as the english word mouth as an organ with which to eat and drink there's just no question so when we're relating we're saying hey the word is pi there's the 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 mystics have put all of this out for us so that we can make these correlations and that we can actually uncover the science behind our spirituality all right so in the beginning was the word and the words with god and the word was god okay let's first talk about the math behind in the beginning so we just made this correlation we're saying hey this is all pi the, the word of God is represented in mathematically, geometrically, numerically as the, as the number pi. Okay? In the beginning, let's do some math. And let's show you all the math that's in these first three words. Okay? In the beginning, the first thing is what? Gives you pi. Gives you the numbers of pi. Okay? So in the beginning is three words and 14 letters. And I'm going to show you all the math all the math that we've covered for the last two and a half years if you've been watching me since i first started in 2011 you'll see that i've been talking about the exact same mathematical constants the entire time why because they're universal truths right well what we're going to do in these next seven six seven frames here is find every single mathematical constant that i've been talking about this entire time encoded in these three words let me say that again the mathematical constants that i've been talking about for over a decade are encoded in these three words. Watch. Ready? In the beginning, three words and 14 letters. 314. It's giving you pi. Right away. From the mouth, the pi of God. The first two numbers there in the give you 618. Well, 0.618 is the, is the smaller portion of phi. Okay? So the first two words are giving you when this is when God is unfolding creation out of his mouth and speaking this into, into creation, he's using mathematical constants to do so, universal truths to do so. So the first thing that he's given you is what? Well, number one, pi, 314. And then the next thing is phi. And I'll show you even more that it's not just all, oh, we're just throwing those numbers together. They actually go further to exemplify that this is exactly what they're doing. In the beginning... Beginning equals 34, you, you can see there, okay? See that? In the beginning. Well, a 618, 0.618 is the smaller portion of phi, which means this, and you get phi, you get this 1.618 from the Fibonacci sequence. Well, they give you the Fibonacci sequence or how to obtain the Fibonacci sequence in these first three, three words. No shit, okay? So in the beginning... In the beginning, beginning equals 34, that's a Fibonacci number. In order to find the other Fibonacci numbers, you just have to 34 times 0.618 equals 21. 34 divided by 0.618, so in other words, beginning divided by in the, if you will, equals 55. Those are Fibonacci numbers. They're, they're literally giving you the mathematics to, to help you unfold the Fibonacci sequence. So the number before 34 is 21. The number one, the number after it is 55. And do you know how you get that? From in the. So that's all the graphics right there. 
So you guys can see that. You can also inverse this by 34. Um, 34 divided by uh, 1.618 would be uh, 21. And 34 times 1.618 would be 55. It's just the inverse. So that's that's all right there in the first three words. So not only pi, but they're also giving you the other, one of the most other important mathematical constants, phi. But not only that, the sequence in which you can unfold and actually find it. Okay? Does everybody see that? In the beginning equals 58. We've covered this number numerous, numerous times. If you've seen this before, in the beginning, as you can see, the gematria total equals 58. What is 58? It's the first seven primes added together. So now we have a focus on prime numbers, the number seven. But not only that, when you square those numbers, as you can see, we've done this numerous times before. 2 squared is 4, 3 squared is 9, 5 squared is 25, 7 squared is 49, 11 squared is 121, one, uh, 13 squared is 169, and 17 squared is 289. If you add them up, you get 666. In the beginning equals 58. 58 in the beginning equals 58. 58 times pi, which is what you get in the beginning, equals 182. This is all from literally three words, guys. Do you know what 182 is? It's the divisors of the 42nd prime. It's the divisors. The 42nd prime is 181. It's what we name this church after. The Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ equals 181, which means its divisor is 182. So in the beginning times pi, which is encoded in the beginning, equals, uh, equals the 42nd prime. Why is 42 important? It's where you find pi in the number line, 13, 14, and 15. So this is all the things that we got literally from these three words. Phi, the sequence of the Fibonacci, you know, the Fibonacci sequence. Pi, the number 666, the, you know, the, the importance and prominent, you know, uh, prominence of primes and the number 7. 42, and then of course, what are we given? Time itself, in the beginning, okay? And of course, when we talk about this time itself, we relate this to the Aum. And what does the Aum tell us? Past, present, and future. Creator, preserver, destroyer. That's exactly how it's defined. That's exactly how the Trinity is defined. Okay? I just want to show, maybe this is coincidence. I don't know. We'll see. But in the just so happens to be the, um, the, same, the same value as Ra and Set. So in the, right, this is the beginning of creation. And uh, it's, I don't know, maybe that's just a coincidence. I don't know. In the magical world, there are no coincidences, but that's Ra and Set. Now think about this. This is the Aum, which in Hinduism is the word, which gives you what? Time? So past, present, and future. And then how do we map past, present, and future? With the sun. With the rising and setting of Ra and Set. That's literally in, in the 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 mystic and this is what we're going to talk about today um you know uh, kind of combating the whole demiurge everything is a prison and a trap which is that sort of thing the true mystic recognizes that god is within literally everything and this is what john will establish in i think the third verse or whatever everything was made by god and there was not anything that was made that was not made by god you know so everything every single thing in creation is imbued with this notion of, of a divine or intelligent force behind it, including our words.
Okay. So to find something like this should not be really that, you know, you know, it's like, oh, well, we should expect to find that. So you mean to tell me they're talking about the beginning of time and then they give you the rising and setting of the sun and they also give you past, present and future just within the mythology of the word? Yes, that's absolutely true. Is there another church that knows anything about this? <laughs> I don't think so. Why? Because they don't have the gnosis and they reject it, as we know. The word. The word is, as we know, just according to masonry. And this is what, you know, got me into a lot of this stuff. Like, it's a mystery. It's the word is a, is a key to the mysteries. In fact, your whole pursuit in, in the Masonic doctrine is to literally go and uncover what the hell are they talking about? What is the lost Masonic word? That's literally what you're, you know, one of the things in masonry that you're supposed to undergo, your mystical quest. Well, it is a key to the mysteries. And as we can see here, well, it, it gives you 33. Once again, is that a number that we've dealt with here at the Gnostic Academy? Well, well, I'll show you why it's important once again in numerous, numerous ways here. But um, it just so happens that the word equals 33 and has seven letters, you know. As we're going to see today, what does this word represent? Ultimately, we know it's the order, it's the pattern, it's the it's the purpose. Okay, that at that shaft of light, that pole of light, that life that is the light that lights you know the life that lights every man right that cometh into the world. As we're going to see, it's the Son of Man, it's the Christ, it's the seed, it's the chrism, it's the balm, it's the oil, it's the word. It's given all of these different um, you know symbolic attributes or or call you know titles and things like that. But it's all referring to what. Once again, when you go to the universal language of mathematics, you don't have to put, you know, you know, dink around, if you will. It's just like, well, no, what does 33 represent? Well, we know that in the temple of the human being, it represents the very place where spiritual enlightenment has been, you know, is you know, symbolically shown, if you will. It's the, you know, it's the, it's your, it's your spinal column. It's your spinal cord. Okay. That has 33 bones. And this is obviously the central focus of spiritual concepts around the world. We can go to the Kundalini of Hinduism, and we can go to raising the serpents up in the wilderness like Moses did, okay? You obviously are talking about the exact same thing. It's fine if you just have an opinion about that. When you bring math to it, it's a whole different ballgame, okay? So, and this is the other thing. When we talk about speaking the word, right? Jesus is the word, and then the word comes from the mouth and he is speak God is speaking the word and then we look to our mouth what do we have we have 32 teeth in our jawbone and what is Christ 32 once again using rule of kolel what do you have 32 33 0 through 32 is 33 digits this is all you see you see what's happening here when whoever built this stuff and wrote this stuff down and and received it because that's really what it is received it you know, there, it's all of this stuff is interconnected. And how do we interconnect it with us? By looking at ourselves, by coming to know ourselves like the true Gnostic does. Okay? So that's the, the word equals 33. Let me show you this. The word. I'll just want to show you this. The um, word itself, it's capitalized. If you notice in, um, in the actual writing, word is capitalized. I'll show you here. Let's do it. <sighs> Just to, once again, when we see capitalization in the Bible, it's saying, hey, focus on this. There's something special about that, right? So in the beginning was the word, word. So if we just take out the and word, it's going to lead us to, once again, the exact same 
thing because that's what it's supposed to do. What does the fifth word equals 15? What is 15? We've talked about this when we did the de-occulting of Twitter. Twitter, the, the, those occultists, those Kabbalists at Twitter, they certainly know about this stuff. 100%. 100%. What does 15 represent? It represents one hour of the sun traveling in our sky. 15 degrees. The, it's the minute segments on your fingers. I'll show you this. 15. Once again, the gematria value of word. You can map that 15-degree arc of the sun every hour with your hand, and you can even mark the 15-degree minutes of that 15-degree segment of the hour of the sun. 15, 15, 15, 15, and it rises what? 15. Okay? 15 degrees. What else is word? Capitalization. The fifth triangular number is five, or if, excuse me, the fifth triangular number is 15. So even when you triangulate your fingers, one, two, three, four, five, add them together, what do you get? 15. The 15th triangular number is 120. For those of you that have been paying attention, what's 120? It's the trine. It's, it's a third of a circle. That's literally what it's defined as. So when we talk about the doctrine of Jesus Christ, that, that trine is encoded in the number 15, 100%. No question about it. If you can add, you can find it. 15 times pi equals 47. This is all stuff that we covered when we did the de-occulting of Twitter. 15 times pi is 47. That is the degrees between the tropics. Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer. And that is on a flat stationary plane too. You don't need a ball model for that, okay? So this is all, all of this stuff. Your hand, where the kingdom of heaven is, Jesus, you know, Christ is at hand, that sort of thing. 15, 15, 15, 15, all within what? A single word. A single word. How, where you establish pi in the number line, where? 13, 14, and 15. Okay? So that's all within the word. All right, now let's do some math and we'll get right back to the number 33. Okay? <clears throat> so we're still on the first verse. Like I said, going to be a long one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The gematria total of this equals 250. So what? Who cares, right? Now, what does 250 mean? It doesn't really mean anything. What this number is going to do is actually point you to numerous other things. Okay? First off, the reduction is 7. Everybody can see that there. 7 equals pi. So it's right there. Right? So not only do they give you pi within the first three words and in the word, all that other stuff, they're just, the full reduction equals pi in English. But the number 250 is very interesting. Number 1, 250 times pi is 784. This is 1 off of 28 squared. Square the phalanges of your hand and you're going to get what the with the rule of Kolel, one off from 250 times pi. John 1, 1 times pi leads you to your hands. Using the basic rules of gematria, rule of Kolel, the gematria of John 1, 1 leads right to your hands. The number 250 also, if you look at the divisors, are 468. You see that? Properties of number 250 there. Divisors are 468. What is? It's the mirror of 864. This is the word. This is Jesus. Where do we find 864? 
in his name in both English and Greek. This is going to be a review, I said. Jesus times Christ equals 864. Kyrios Jesus Christus, when you, Christos, when you break it down in Greek, equals 864. So while they're giving you the word, well, while they're giving you the word here and giving you a bunch of math for it, it's leading right to the number 864. And that is what? In the word. 864 is directly related to the sun, as we know, 86,400 seconds in a day. You can also find the number 864 in what? The 33rd triangular number. So as we said, the word equals 33. Okay, just triangulate the number 33. Just, just plain straight up the most basic math you can do. Start from 1 and add to 33. Do you know what you're going to get? 561. Do you know what the divisors of 561 give you? 864. Straight up. Write in the numbers. Write in. There's no, there's no fudging math here. There's no, there's no. <laughs> it's right there. All within there. <clears throat> so that's, this is John 1.1. 1, 1. So the, the total equals 250. The vowels equal 190. This is related directly to Genesis 1-1. We're in the beginning. Once again, we're hearing the story about 2,000 years ago. And then for some reason, we're back at the beginning of all creation. Why? Well, this is supposed to be so you can say, well, you're going to have to relate this story of John somehow back to what? Genesis. Because that's where we are. We're back in the beginning. Okay, well, you can do that mathematically. There's no question about it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's Genesis 1-1 on the left there. This is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, with God and the word was God without the vowels. Do you know what it equals? 190. So Genesis 1-1, John 1-1. Genesis 1-1 on the left, John 1-1 on the right. So they're relating it to the beginning of creation, and then they're relating it to the beginning of creation mathematically too. No question about it. Now, once again, we've, di we've discussed why 190 is important. So this is the first, you know, first verse, first book of John, and they're giving you this number 190, and we've discussed it, I don't know how many freaking times. Right? How many times has the number 190 come up? And what is it? It's a representation of the vigesimal system. Your fingers and your toes. Your piggies upstairs and your piggies downstairs. 0 through 19, the vigesimal system, a base 20 system, equals 190. The parable of the sower. When they were saying, hey, we put the seeds into the good ground and, it's, and it brought forth some fruit. How much fruit did it bring forward? 190. 190 pieces of fruit, some 30-fold, some 60 and 100. Why? Why? What is this all relating to, by the way? You. You. That's what it's related to. So um, we the, the, the faces, the edges, and the vertices of the five, five, there it is again, five platonic solids equals 190. There's no question about it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 190 okay all of this encoded you know within this first verse no question about it so 
once again, whoever was putting this thing together knew what they were doing. So now we have, in the beginning was the word, was this emanation, this light, this sound, this order, this pattern, this purpose. It was with God. In the beginning was God, it was the word, and was with God, and was God, and that sort of thing. And then John 1, 2 says, the same was in the beginning with God. So this is like, basically, this is Genesis 1, or this is John, excuse me, John 1, 1 reworded. So they're basically saying, hey, in the beginning was God, it was the word, and then in the same was the beginning with God. It's the same thing. So they're basically saying the word was God, the word of God, blah, blah, blah. So basically, in the beginning was God, and God was with God, and God was God. That's essentially what they're saying. This is a poetic way of basically doing what? Total unity. Total unity. That this is oneness. That this is, you know, in this sort of sense, completion, right? This is this is God within himself. There's no materiality yet. There's no nothing. It's just God being Godden all day, if you will, right? Total metaphysicality. There's no separation, okay? Now we know that we have to have some sort of separation that in order for creation to make sense, there needs to be a separation so that we have some sort of traversing. We have some sort of path back to God, some sort of obstacle course and challenges so that we can say, hey, we want to get back to that place where we were with God and that we, you know, we're always one, if you will, the total unity, if you will. And so this is something that had to happen in order for us to even have an experience here, okay? This is, as we're going to see, this wasn't the demiurge slipped in and then made everything shitty. Okay? That's not what's going on here. So, in the beginning was God and God was with God and God, it was just Godding all day long, right? This is, uh, the same was in the beginning with God. Once again, this number, uh, this is the gematria of this. All of this stuff will point to Christ. There's no, no fudge in anything here, right? So, in, the same was in the beginning with God. This is 135. Do you know how you get 135. It's literally the gematria value of Jesus times the number of letters of his name. Five times 27 equals 135. <clears throat> so, as they're giving you the word, and they're telling you it's Jesus, and they're giving you phi and pi and 666 and time and 42 and 190 and 864, all of these key numbers that we've literally been talking about for over a decade... Now, in the second verse, they're going to point you right back to Jesus with the exact same math I've been talking about for over a decade. Let's, uh, let's, let's give that. Let's go. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is such an important verse because it's telling you that God has imbued himself within all of the creation. That everything that's, that your fingertips, the path of the sun, how a plant grows, like literally every, all things, right, were made by God. And so there isn't any sort of, and this is where, you know, just this one verse alone completely undercuts the entire position that that a lot of these people have, like the, you know, I don't want to name names or whatever. They're, you, you know a lot of these people, whatever, that are basically saying it's all a cosmic conspiracy and it's a trap and it's a prison and stuff like that. And everything you see is made by the Demiurge and the Demiurge trick God and stuff like that. This is, that's complete hooey, okay? Everything in the creation was made by this intelligent, loving, caring force, okay? It was made for a purpose. It isn't to say there isn't pain and suffering and that sort of stuff down here. 
It was made for a purpose, but that doesn't mean that God just abandoned the thing. No, he has imbued himself within every single thing. And the Gnostic revelation, the true mystic gnosis, is to actually look at the creation and be able to penetrate through the ignorance, the darkness of your ignorance, and see that design, see that purpose, see that light within the thing. And then not only that, as we do, be able to extract the meaning from it, extract the spiritual meaning from it. Somebody can throw at you the number 190 who gives two shits about the 190. Unless you're a mystic and a Gnostic and can say, oh, I know what that means. And that's why they put it there. Okay? All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay? God did not make evil because evil is not a thing. Evil is the misuse of things. Evil comes directly from action. Okay? This is, once again, why it's so important to, you know, understand that the Demiurge, what the Demiurge represents, is actually the human mind. Okay? Um, St. Augustine said, Evil is not a substance, for it has not God for its author. It does not exist. Of course, evil exists, but what is he saying? It's not a substantial thing. It's not something that was created. Okay? And it's so important to understand this because it's, because this 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 uh, determines the line between victor and victor or victim and victor. Excuse me. Evil is not a substance, for it has not God for its author. It does not exist, and so the defective corruption is nothing else than the desire or act of a misdirected will. And that's exactly what evil is, and that's exactly what the demiurge represents. It literally represents the common man. The common man that does the thinking, that uses his own will to go against the will of God and actually bring forth evil into the world. So when God made all things, he didn't make evil. Okay? The steel is not evil, but the man who uses the steel for criminal purposes is evil. It's all about your action. Evil is a vitium, a bad use of things as a result of erroneous decisions of the will. And that's what's truly understood in, by a true Gnostic. Okay? Um, this is what it means by omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Omni means all of all things. So God in all things is present. He's here. He's, he's in all things. He's control. He has power over all things. And that's exactly, you know, we know this. Okay. So this conflicts directly with what most people, um, you know, as far as Gnostics are concerned, like Demiurge, this is completely in contradiction to what they're spouting. It's because they don't know what they're talking about. All things were made by the great triune God, the one mighty source. End of story. This is God in all things. All things are made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything in the creation. That includes the stars above and everything below. Okay? This is the, now this is once again, we're, this is God saying, let there be light, or God, excuse me, the, the beginning was the word, and there was the word, and all and the same as in the beginning, and then all things are made by him, right? Okay, so all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's what it says, which is kind of a funny way of saying that, right? Well, it equals 243 in Gematria. Once again, who cares? Except there's a spiritual meaning behind that number, as there is with all of these things. When God, this triune, this singular, yet triune God, multiplied himself within the creation to create all things, how did he do it? He did it in multiples of three. That's the whole thing. <laughs> That's literally the triune God, the Trinitarian doctrine. Everything has a, thri a threefold or thricefold nature to it, including yourself. 
mind, body, uh, mind, body, soul, that sort of stuff, right? We'll look at the divisors of 243. It's one times three and three times three and nine times three and 27 times three and 81 times three and 243, you know? So it's, it's literally as God is making the world, all things were made by him and, and he has imbued himself within everything. And then the number that they choose to show you this is multipliers of three to yet again cement the idea that guess what? This thing was made by the triune God. One times three is three and three times three is nine and nine times three is 27 and 27 times three is 81 and 81 times three is 243. Even within the number that they put, that they, the gematria value of this, they're inserting the Trinitarian doctrine in there. Okay? In him was life and the light, and the life was the light of men. What is this life? Of course, it's, it's eternal life, because that's where all this stuff comes from. There is no death, right? So in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So not only is this life lightens our light, it's the it's the guide in which we undertake, but it's also the fact that we recognize that we there is no death. The death here is just like everything. It's a it's a it's a temporary thing, but the soul within is eternal. Okay? The reason that they're telling you guys this stuff, the reason that this stuff is being put into scripture is because not only is it true, but it's also to help you through the difficult times when you lose a loved one and things like that. Do you really think they're gone forever? According to literally every tradition that that's worth its salt across the world? No. <laughs> that light that's within the light that with that's that light that is the life of men, that within is eternal. Okay? And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not this is of course this is john 1 5 and the light shineth in darkness the darkness comprehended it not this is a this is a representation of what and god said let there be light and there was light so once again there's it's we all know the you know beginning of genesis there's god it's it's the it's the wind it's his breath it's the spirit that's floating around the darkness so there's darkness and what does this darkness represent it represents no form it represents no pattern no organization no teleology no you know no purpose no that sort of thing and so then all of a sudden this light this word that is everything springs out within it and it doesn't understand it at all because why? Because it's comprehension, because it's because it's total order, okay? And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended not. This is the creation of, this is literally the beginning of your number line as well. And the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended not. We understand that the light is the, the light is the word, it's the oneness, it's the singular truth from the singular God. And then what is the darkness? Well, it's darkness, it's nothing. There's nothing there. So you have an emanation of light, directly from the mouth, the pie of God, that's one. And what do you have? Nothing. Absence. Okay? So from this total unity, which is, of course, beyond number, beyond language, beyond the ability to describe it, beyond symbol, right? We, we know that. We're not saying like, oh, when you get to heaven, it's two or some shit. No, this is all beyond number, right? Now, when we get beyond it and have to start to understand it, right? Then it's like, okay, now God has actually given us a language to actually comprehend and actually imagine this first moment of creation. You can go to the first moment of the, the creation of this world in your mind, in your number line. That's what God gave it for, okay? This is what Kabbalists know, so beyond number, there's this nothingness, and there's the parameters, there's in, there's light-filling void. We'll talk about going in, 
in the beginning went inward to something, which means there would have to be something there in order to go into. What did God go into? Himself. Okay. Um, and so this creation of zero and one, this is actually what starts your, your, you know, your base 10 geometry. Zero, one, two, three, now, you know, now, now you've got formation. This is, this, they're literally giving you, through language, the foundations of mathematics. And we can actually, I don't know if you guys ever seen the, like, I don't know if this is going to play or not, but the, like, the sacred geometrical story of creation, you know, the singular point that goes within the monad, you know, that splits, becomes the pie. There's as above, so below, the waters of creation, heaven and earth. That splits, of course, and, and then it doubles and doubles and doubles and doubles, right? That sort of thing. It just continues on it, and, and that's how creation unfolds. So basically, sacred geometry gives you, you know, that's Polaris right there, speaking out the word, as we'll talk about, right? And then the first thing, there's heaven and earth, the waters above, waters below, Spirit and matter, of course, and then it just goes from there, unfolds, 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 okay? So this point in the center, right, when you're saying, hey, God said, let there be light, or the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended not, where did that light come from? Well, our cosmology gives us the exact place where that light came from. And the rest of the Bible, as we've, as we've you know, shown and we've deciphered, is actually pointing to the very place where the word was unleashed from the mouth, the pie of God. Where is it? It's Polaris. It's where everything revolves. Remember when we said there was um, the um, turning, right? After like the, the pie, the speaking, it was a turning and twisting and stuff like that. That's exactly what the pole star does. It's the center hub in which everything is turning and twisting around. So when God spoke light and spoke, you know, uh, into the creation a purpose and an order and shit like that, we can look at our stars and be like, I can see where that came from. It's Polaris. The seed, the word, the light, the life eternal that exists within you. Where does that life eternal exist? In the center of you. Well, then where do you think it exists in our cosmos? In the center. Where the word emanated from, the first point in existence is the star Polaris. That's where Jesus ascends to, right? When we talked about before, where does Jesus ascend when he goes to heaven? Polaris. Up the Mount of Olives, we've all talked about this, the great mountain. It's found around the world as we've talked about before. So when the, when the Bible is giving us these things about the light and the word and God speaking and stuff like that, all of these things are not just like some, you know, philosophical, symbolic, religious jargon or something like that to give an explanation for what happened in the beginning so they can, you know, tell little freaking Sammy boy there, whatever. It's like, this is what, no, these things have a cosmological meaning, a numeric meaning, a geometric meaning, and a meaning for your spiritual life. Our cosmology, once again, when we look at it through the Gnostic perspective, we realize that everything has meaning, okay? So our cosmology and how it's set up has meaning to it, okay? So when I say, hey, where God spoke light from into the world, in the darkness of this sphere, when God made everything and imbued himself within everything and enunciated himself into this darkness, Right? What is that? Well, we're in that darkness. Now it's full of light or whatever. But th this is the cosmology that this the, the Bible gives you. It literally just tells you that. This is nothing new. There's God. Where is he? He's in the center and the top of the freaking dome. Well, that's where the word comes from, right? That's what the Bible's telling us. So once again, when I present this stuff to you, am I giving you my opinion? No. 
I'm just pointing to exactly what the biblical scholars are saying, what the biblical writers were saying. Okay? That singular point, and this is what they, they call the word the seed. The seed is the word of God, right? We've covered that before. Well, what is that? Well, it's this notion of what? I mean, it's this, it's it's a it's a it's a grand metaphor for every seed represents that life. Every every seed represents that ounce and that spark of God. So what is the seed? The seed is the word of God. Well, what happens to a seed? The seed, that little bit, as we know, you know, just like the acorn carries within it the total pattern of the mighty oak. Just like this seed within it carries the whole pattern of the plant or whatever that's going to grow. Just like within the seed, the word that was sprang forth from the top of the dome from Polaris has the entire order and pattern within it, which means that's within us as well. It's a fractal idea. They absolutely understood what we understand today mathematically as fractals, and they just understood it by looking at nature. Simple pimple, okay? This is this thing when God... In the beginning, just look at the words in and then um, the beginning, right? In is an expression of going into something, which means there would have to be something in the first place in order to go in. What did God do? He went into himself. Okay? Everything is, in, in other words, right? So when God sent out the emanation, he literally just, and we'll, we'll cover this in just a second. This is a Taurus. The in goes out and the out goes the in. It's centripetal and centrifugal, Right? And that's how we, as, as far as we know, that's how the earth operates. So everything is encased by metaphysica, metaphysicality and eternality. So this entire, you know, um, material world that we live in, right? This, this place in the mind of God, if you will, that comes and springs from metaphysicality. Okay, God is within everything. Begin means to crack open, to begin to open up, to cut open. Okay, just like in the beginning when we saw that sacred geometrical story of creation, there's the circle and it gets cut by the diameter. Okay, this is the goes in, opens up and goes in. This is, this is the Taurus. That's what it is. In the beginning, God just essentially went into himself. He didn't go, there is no outside of God. It's not like God was like, ah, there's me, God, and then there's outside of this other place where there's a bunch of non-God. No. The in is the out and the out is the in. This is exactly what the mystics say, right? In this sort of sense that we are a fractal of this whole thing. This is exactly what they say about the human being to the T. It's a reflection of the whole thing. Okay, so there's your human Taurus. In the beginning, it goes in and it goes out and then it goes in and then it's out and it's all one. It's a Mobius strip. Okay, this is the law of correspondence, of course, too. Right when we talk about the in and the out, the above and below, right? Everybody knows this. It's like you're. It's like 101 when you get into mysticism. As above, so below. So so um, as as below, so above. And the grasping of this principle gives one the means of solving many a dark paradox and hidden secret of nature. Amen. Says the Kabbalion or the seven principles, seven hermetic principles. Okay, as above, so below. <clears throat> The principle embodies the truth that there is always a correspondence between the laws of phenomenon of various planes of being and life. Okay. You guys ever hear this one? It says this. The principles of truth are seven. He who knows these understandingly possesses the magic key before whose touch all the doors of the temple fly open. That <laughs> comes from the Kabayan and the and the number seven. I think they knew what they were talking about. The law, the law of correspondence is in 
the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in your earthen vessel. That's the law of correspondence. As above, so below. Okay? And that's just basically saying, look, man is the universe. So when God went in and he went out and then he went in and he created everything, but did he create the, did he create everything outside of himself? Well, the, the, there is no outside of himself. So he went in to go outside, to go in, to go out. I think you get it. So there's the zodiac man. There's the celestial sphere of which you, we, are a reflection of. And scripture even is, is you know, uh, encoding this. Now look at that guy's hand. His, his left hand there. He's got the Zodiac all over his body because he is undergoing Jesus's internal ministry, the internal unfoldment of himself, right? So there's the Zodiac man. What's he holding in his hand? The sphere, the Mundi, the Axis Mundi, if you will, right? He's a reflection of the whole thing. And on the top of that whole thing is the word that springs forth from the God, the God Almighty, okay? This is... The Kabayan also says that this is all a product of, um, ooh, I don't have this. It's all, the all is mind. I don't, let me see if I can find this here. Hold on. Sorry, I don't know why this didn't show up. Uh, give me a second. <clears throat> um, uh, anyway. I can't find it for some reason. The all is mind. And the, um, no, I want to find this now because I want to read it. That's okay. Um, the all is mind. And so the Kabayan, one of the first things that the Kabayan is the all is mind. So we just covered the as above, so below the law of correspondence in the Kabayan, right? The seven hermetic principles. The first hermetic principle is the all is mind, right? That everything is literally from the mind of God. Okay. So in other words, when God spoke, and actually reverberated and emanated out this word, he thought it all first, right? This is all. So this is like the universe in man. This is what this is, right? Okay. The all is mind. The, it says that this, think about this. They, they personified darkness. Darkness now all of a sudden has a, has, a, has a personality or whatever, right? Personification is the use of figurative language to give inanimate objects or natural phenomenon human-like characteristics in a metaphorical and representative way. So when it says, and the darkness comprehended it not, it's saying that the, that the darkness has a mental capacity to comprehend things and not comprehend things. What is that saying? The Bible with its language and personifying darkness is telling you in so many words, the same thing that the seven hermetic principles are telling you. The all is mind. This is all in, 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 a, in a mystical sense. It's all consciousness. Okay. We, and is this a place? Is this a physical place? Yes, it's a physical place in the mind of God is where we are. And this is what we all say, that everything is God. Everything is, you know, once again, imbued with God. And we are a reflection of that whole thing. Okay. What sprang forth was the logos, the word. Okay. So what, why couldn't the darkness comprehend the light? Well, because the light is the transcendent, it's the eternal, it's the superior, supreme, consummate, predominant, preeminent, ascendant, paramount, superlative, unique, unsurpassed, incomparable, unrivaled, unequaled, unparalleled, matchless, peerless, everlasting, never-ending, endless, perpetual, undying, immortal, deathless, indestructible, imperishable, immutable, abiding, permanent, enduring, infinite, boundless, <clears throat> timeless, timeless, timeless. 
and that's what these that's what these stories are that's what the logos is there there's a there's a there's a spiritual meaning to this too in your everyday life as well and in your spiritual unfoldment right when you take on the internal ministry of christ is that when you fully step into the light with faith right the darkness of your own ignorance cannot comprehend the blessings and gifts you will receive and that's what that's what truly anybody that's on a spiritual path will tell you if they're genuine and honest with their path. They get on this path and they had no idea the things that could have come to them by uh, engaging in this, right? And this is this whole get yourself, get your damn self out of the way and allow the blessings and the gifts to come into your life and don't, you know, whatever. Um, you know, try to dictate them all and try to like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, plan out your entire life and that sort of thing. You sort of get off that and you let go of that sort of stuff. And then you say, I don't know what this is, but I know this is truth. I know. And I'm going to get on that path. And when you're on that path, you, you can't, the, the darkness, the darkness of your ignorance cannot comprehend the blessings that you will receive. Okay. This is, oh, that's, oh, oh, that's in the wrong place. Sorry, we already covered that. So, okay, so that's one through, what's one through five? And you know what? Let's take a little break here and then we'll get on to the rest of them. We'll get on to, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Um, thank you all for being here today. If you do enjoy the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Academy, you can, um, you can send us a letter or anything like that at Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road. 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. Or um, we have PayPal, we have Venmo, we have Buy Me a, Co Buy Me a Coffee, Cash App, and you can become a good bird at a subscribe star. So. Let's try that again. Tried a new uh, tuning there, and so I was just messing around with some stuff. So, anyway, thank you all for uh, joining us today, and thank you all for the the wonderful support. And um, anybody that does stop by and pays attention, we really appreciate you guys. So, okay, let's rock on, and I'll I'll try to do better next time with that funky tuning. So, all right, so that was the first five verses, right? And there's just there was there's a lot more too that we could talk about as well, like. Um, 
you know, basically time being secular, that sort of thing. When we talk about in and out in the Taurus, and then we're talking about time, it's this notion that it's like, of course, yes, we experience time in a linear fashion, but is it really linear? I think, you know, time is like linear and circular. It goes in and out and it's that sort of thing. So there's a lot more that we could discuss there. But for brevity's sake, we're going to we're going to move on. So because uh, there's a lot to cover here. So first five verses, this is uh, verse six. There was a man sent from God, John 1, 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, so let's talk about this. First off, let's talk about Johnny Boy, St. Johnny Boy. So once again, Mathematically, we're, we're given a, a message here, right? Um, John equals 13. Uh, Lord equals 13. God equals 13. Year equals 13. Son equals 13, right? Once again, unless we do a, a study of geometry and understand a number and understand, well, what is 13? Like, like who cares, right? Well, number one, it's a prime, so that means its divisors are 1 and 13, which means its divisors sum to 14. So in other words, John, Lord, God, Son, Year, by all equaling 13, naturally, naturally give you two numbers, 13 and 14. What is that? Well, it's the place in our number line where pi is established. You just mirror them and you get 3141. So there's that. Beyond that, though, what is geometrically what is 13? It's 12 around 1. In, in basic geometry, 6 around 1, 12 around 1, 18 around 1. Okay, this, this is just naturally how you, you, know, you would form geometry, this 12 around 1. Well, what is that? Well, that's your zodiac, man. That's what it is. Okay, that's your 12 disciples. That's your 12 houses. It's your 12 disciplines that you must undergo around what? The central spark of God that exists within each and every one of us. Okay, John, it says here, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Wait a second. Weren't we all sent from God? Aren't we all children of God? Aren't, weren't we all put here by the divine source? Yes, we were. Okay, well, they're telling you that in this verse. They're telling you that in one, John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. What does John mean? John Doe, it's, it's John or John Doe or Jane Doe are multiple use placeholder names that are used in the U.S. and U.K. when the name of a person is unknown or is intentionally being concealed, right? The name John is these names, the name John is used to refer to a hypothetical everyman. In other, in other contexts, just as you guys know, John Q. Public or, or, or Joe Public, right? John Q. Public, John Joe. Like whenever you see a credit card company or whatever that, that they just have, you know, they're you know trying to sell a credit card, some debt to you. And they're like, hey, it's John Doe. And they'll, they'll put, that, that's what John represents. The name John, it's ah, you're, you're everyday man. It's every man, right? That's you and I. Okay, so in the beginning, it was the word and sent God made everything. And then God sent this man, John. He sent the every man. Okay, this is exactly what they tell you in the, in the beginning of Matthew as well. The exact same message, the exact same meaning, exact, exact same spiritual, you know, message that's being tried, that's trying to be relayed to us in a completely different way. So we have John, the every man. In Matthew, what is it? It's Emmanuel. 
Here we're given the prophecy, the 42, 42, 42 generations separated into three 14s. <laughs> 42 generations all the way up to Jesus. And here he's finally here, the man that we're supposed to worship. And there's the prophecy about a virgin. She'll be with the child and she'll bring forth a man. And his name is Emmanuel. Wait, what? Wait, what? I thought this whole thing was about Jesus. And next thing you know, they give you Jesus. And the next line, they give you a prophecy about some dude named Emmanuel who isn't mentioned in the rest of the book. Why? Because it's talking about you. It's the whole reason it's there. God with us. God is always with us. He's always present. And he takes care of his creations. He's made everything. The darkness comprehended not. Everything was made by him. And then he just went off and didn't care about your life or anybody's life. And, you know, no, that's not how it works. He's in the center of us. Emmanuel, even Emmanuel the phonetics says, E, man, you are God. Straight up. E, man, you, L. L is a name for God. You come from God. You're born from God. You were sent from God, right? You come from that almighty source, that source that is beyond the beyond the beyond, right? Of course, we understand that there is a there is a light that we can't comprehend. There's an idea, there's a the concept of God that we just can't even, we can't. But there's no number, there's no name, there's no thought, there's no symbol, right? But ultimately, we come from that, okay? Um, in even the even the letter E, um, like an E Emmanuel, right? Um, it turn comes from a Semitic letter He, which has been suggested to have um, started as a praying or a, a figure human, uh, like a human figure that's calling out in jubilation. That's what E stands for. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. So this whole idea is like, hey, in the beginning, this was this man sent from God whose name was the Everyman. The Everyman. Okay, we can only understand this if we take it out of a purely historic context. Otherwise, it's just some dude who lived 2000 years ago. Why are we reading about him? Okay, now this John character, we know this will get into some of the astrology here. This John character, we know from the four um, Gospels, from the Tetramorph, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Tetramorph, Tetra meaning four. And morph, of course, meaning to morph and to mutate. Somehow, somehow these saints morphed into animals, right? So there's the angel of St. Matthew, the lion for St. Mark, the ox for St. Luke, and the eagle of St. John, okay? So these saints have all of a sudden morphed into constellations. Why? Because that's the, that's the point of the whole thing, right? There's your tetramorph. These are all pictures that Jennifer and I took when we were in um, mainly... Germany, the ones in St. Louis there, excuse me. So there's your lion, your man, your bull, and your eagle, your tetramorph. What does the tetramorph represent? The four fixed signs of the zodiac. They're fixed because why? They're fixed in the middle of the seasons. So so you, you have um, uh, cardinal, fixed, and mutable, right? So when you say fixed, what it is, is it's fixed in the middle of the seasons of summer, spring, winter, and fall, right? So the four gospels alone are telling you about the four seasons, right? Not the, not the hotel, not the hotel chain. The four seasons in the year, which means that just how the four gospels are set up are telling you explicitly that, yo, this book is mythology and it's based on the story of the sun, literally in how it's set up. That's why they're the fixed signs. 
Okay? So John, Johnny Boy there, the everyman, is known as, and you'll see why they even go further to show you that this is representing the, the everyman, right? Johnny Boy is the eagle, and we've talked a lot about this, okay? There's going to be some quick review here, but it just is what it is, okay? John is the eagle. This is a representation of Scorpio. Why is an eagle Scorpio? That sort of thing. We've talked about this numerous times before. Scorpio is associated with three different animals. This, the, the snake, the eagle, and the Scorpio, the scorpion, um, sometimes the phoenix. The eagle and the phoenix are sometimes interchangeable, that sort of thing. So it is a fixed sign. It is a water sign, okay? Now, so we got John. We got the everyman, and we've got John in the tetramorph without question being representative of the... Um, the eagle, which is Scorpio, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, lion, man, bull, and the Scorpio there. In Scorpio, there's the brightest star in Scorpio is called Antares, right? And Antares literally, this is, so you can see, bright star, bright, bright star in Scorpio, from the Greek Antares, contracted from Anti-Ares, or the rival of Mars, in reference to its red color, which represents the red, you know, is in, resembles that of the red planet. It literally is anti-Aries, anti-Aries, okay? Now, does that mean that it, like, it's literally anti-Aries? Well, no. In order to understand further why that's called anti-Aries, we have to go to the Zodiac Man. We have to go to that ultimate fractal expression of the entire thing that is us to understand why it's anti-Aries. In your... <clears throat> mystical pursuit up that spinal column, that chrism, that oil, that balm, that is the Christ that's within you, it has to make that travel up. And where does it travel from, ladies and germs? You guys know. It travels from St. Johnny Boy all the way to where? Aries. That's your sacrum. That's the place you sit on your butt there. That's the triangular bone. And what's there? John, the Scorpio. Okay? So we have anti-Aries. Well, the, he literally is in the human body anti-Aries. He's the anti he's antithetical to what? The top of the head. Okay? So what do we do? We travel from that and then John ultimately, you know, of course symbolically and mystically what's happening to St. John. He's actually undergoing this and then he's there to he's like, oh, I I, tra I traversed up the human body and there now I'm there to announce the lamb of God the word." Okay? John, St. Johnny boy, came, as we'll find out next week, he came to baptize with water. He came to, and he came to baptize Jesus with water. Well, that makes sense because Scorpio, as you see there, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there's standing one among you whom you know ye know not. There's one that stands, well, what do you think that means? There's Jesus Christ standing in the middle of them and they don't know him because they cannot see Christ because they have not undergone the spiritual work. Johnny boy can see him and he's going about to baptize him and he's Scorpio and what is he? He's the element of water. The symbol for Scorpio that points to the penis of the man, penis is an anagram for spine, it is, <laughs> is the symbol of M, which is what? Man. Okay? And then it's pointing to what? the one this one very very specific thing on the human being that actually dictates whether you're a man or a woman the penis the johnson and johnson not the vaccine <clears throat> the penis and that's an m and it literally has that like scorpio tail on it right the stinger if you will 
Okay, well, I don't know if you guys know this. There's another constellation in our zodiac that has an M as well, and that is Virgo. Now, Virgo is what? The stomach and things like that. Now, what is now what is the attribute within the woman that makes her, you know, one of the very specific things that makes her a woman? Well, the fact that she has ovaries and a womb and a uterus and all that other stuff. And that's pretty much exactly where, you know, for the most part, where Virgo is representing. is being, you know, when, when a woman gets pregnant, it's what? In her belly. And what is the Virgo? It's the belly. And what is the symbol of Virgo? It's an M. With what? A Jesus fish attached to it. So we have the the man of Scorpio with the M and the penis on the symbol of M, which is Saint Gianni boy. Right next to him, we have the woman with an M and that has the Vesca Pisces. What is the Vesca Pisces? As we know, we've said this numerous times. It is a geometric vagina. It is from where the word expressed out in this sort of sense, right? When when God gives birth to the creation, okay? So this is the womb in which the entire universe came forth, okay? And so here we have the man and the man of the Scorpio with the stinger and the woman both being represented by the M. And not only that, the woman actually giving you the geometric symbol for the womb. Why is this important? What, we're starting with Johnny Boy here, and why is this important? Because what does John ultimately represent? How did he go to meet Christ? How did he get to be the one to ultimately baptize Christ? He was balanced. And that's where those two constellations are, the man and the woman, the Scorpio and the Virgo, St. Johnny Boy and Mary there, if you will, Virgo. What are they surrounded by? What's, bene what's between them? Libra. The liberation. Liberation. Which comes from what? Balance. <laughs> what is this? Where is this? It's the fall of man. It's the autumnal, the fall equinox. On the cross, you've got a man and a woman surrounding that balance. What is, as we know, the alchemical path? What is it all about? The riddle is to find the middle. It's ultimately to find that balance within. That's how the alchemical marriage is done. You're balancing the... Energies within you, the male and female, they're giving you all of this in the zodiac. Okay? So there's your, your male, there's the penis, the stinger, and there's the female. And what is your job to do? Balance. Balance. So the other interesting thing about St. Johnny Boy and the reference of St. Johnny Boy is that Scorpio is right next to Sagittarius. Okay? Um, of course, this is John and James, the sons of thunder, right? Bow and energies, bitches. There's Scorpio to the right there, Sagittarius. And what are they pointing to? The golden gate. The golden gate. So there's the silver gate and there's the golden gate. We've covered this before. This is the place where on the, um, the ecliptic, on your zodiac, where the Milky Way crosses. And there's these two places, one called the silver gate and one called the golden gate. Okay. It's the Golden Gate Bridge and that sort of thing. And this is where uh, souls are loose and bound in heaven and on earth. And I'm not sure which one. I think Golden Gate is in heaven. It would make sense. And then silver is on earth. So so there, all of these things, once again, uh, astrological, literally just in the name and understanding the tetramorph, 
Okay, understanding that the Gospels are, it's, it's parabolic, 100%. Okay? Okay, let's keep reading. So that's all St. Johnny Boy there. So let's keep reading. So, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John 1-7. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So, John is saying, it's like, ah, I came to bear, just like you are here, to bear witness to when, when God, everything that was made by God and you know, he made everything and all things were made by him. And then, the, and then God sent you, the everyman. And what are you here to do? Witness it. <laughs> right? But he says specifically to bear witness of the light. Now, we already know where that light is, where God spoke the word through Polaris. Okay? Now, do, do we mean this like... Since it's all mind and all consciousness, I don't necessarily mean this totally physically, considering we're talking about metaphysics, but this is why the, why the structure of our cosmology is important. Because it's basically saying, hey, I came to bear witness to this light. And he says it again. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. We'll talk about that. Notice it says to bear witness, and then it says it again, to bear witness again. What do you think they're talking about? We just said that where did this word come from that John is bearing witness to? <clears throat> witness is to, um, let's read it again. This is the etymology. It's testifying, testimonium, uh, to bear testimony. That's what witness means. Um, well, what do you think the bear is? The, the constellation Ursa Major, the bear, is literally the constellation that points to the center of Polaris where the word was unleashed. Okay. So when they say all this word trickery, all this ways to subtly, you know, embody this stuff or encode it and encrypt it in the story. And they say he was there to bear witness. Then he says it again, to bear witness. Okay. Why, why are you saying it twice? Because what is the bear in the stars doing, literally pointing to the place where the word was unleashed. The Corpus Hermeticum actually talks about this as well. The sun's the greatest god of the gods in heaven, to whom all the heavenly gods give place as unto king and master. Right? And then, of course, as we'll see, where does, that, where does the sun ultimately come from? Th from the word which comes from the center. The bear up there that turneth round itself, says the Corpus Hermeticum, and carries round the whole cosmos with it. Who is the owner of this instrument? Who he hath round set? Who hath set round the sea its bounds? Who, who, who he? I'm sorry. Who he who hath set on its seat the earth? <laughs> so, you have the bear bearing witness to the very place in which the whole thing was unleashed, right? Now. And we're going to say that, that as we're going to, we'll show this in just a second, that would be representative of the Father in heaven. What do you think the Son is? We'll get to that. He was not that light, but was sent to Ursa Major, that light. When you, when the, the, the whole thing about the Ursa Major, too, is the most notable asterism in the sky. So when you have, when you say, you know, when they subtly encode these things like bear witness and that sort of thing, there's a meaning to that constellation. It's not just a group of stars. No, that group of stars actually is the thing that one of the things that actually helps us determine the seasons and it points to the center of the creation. 
So when we say, hey, God imbued everything with this mystical meaning and that the Gnostic, his whole pursuit is actually to look at this stuff and extract its meaning. We mean that very, very seriously. And so did whoever wrote the Hermetic Corpus. Okay. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness to that light. What does that mean? It means that this is just another way of saying that God is the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond. This is why it's the holy name of God, which it'll be mentioned. We'll do it next week. The holy name of God, this name on high, right? And then you look at the name on high. And what is the name on high in Hebrew? The name. It's literally what it's called. Hashem, which is the tetragrammaton, is the name. And what is it? It's unspeakable. Just like we said, it's ineffable. It's in, it's in, it's intangible. There's no there's no word. There's no letter. There's no there's no thing. I could I could talk for the rest of my freaking life, and I still wouldn't be able to encapsulate and you know uh, the 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 essence of this true God. And that's what it's saying. This is exactly what he's saying. I, I'm not that light, but was sent to bear just like you are, just like we all are, sent to bear witness to that light because that light is the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond. That was the light that existed before the, the word ever even shone out and the darkness was like, what the fuck's going on? Okay? That's what it, that's what it represents. It, the light that gives birth to all things. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And this is, once again, there's the, the triune the triune God, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the light that's beyond everything, right? This is, once again, the recognition that that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, right? So when we say that lighteth every man that comes into the world, it's literally the light that lights you, that animates you, that gives you life, just as it says that light was the light and life of men and that sort of thing. But it's also gives us the directive. It was the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's the, the light that directs us to where we go. Ultimately to what? To find the middle, to find that light within us. Every, and, and basically what it's saying, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Everything in the world has the transcendent spark of the divine within it. And everything has been made by God. And John, St. Johnny Boy, later on in this chapter, goes on to tell you what? That all of that is love. It's the totality of love. God is love, right? Okay. So now, and then it says... <clears throat> he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not okay wait a second how can the he's made by wait and the world was made by him wait so the world is making this transcendent being how the hell does that work that doesn't make any sense what no i thought this was the thing that made itself and was beyond the beyond the beyond and that sort of thing well once again this is why it's so important to understand the language that's being used in the bible the world the word word, excuse me, the word world <laughs> is being used specifically here. Why? While today you can use the words world and earth interchangeably, back in the Dizay, originally world meant human experience. It meant age or the age of man. And we've talked about this before when we did, um, oh, what was that? Um, what? tribulation and the and the world age of man or something i think is what the the sermon was called a few sermons back we we discussed this specifically and talked about hey when they use the word world in the bible they're specifically talking about world ages okay and this is where we get of course when we talk about the polaris and everything is whirling around it 
that's literally what it, it's phonetically exactly the same world and world w-h-i-r-l-e-d and w-o-r-l-d world 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 everything world so when we talk about the the when he said hey he was and the world was made by him right he made the world right so we could say hey the, he made the world the actual physical world but what are they actually talking about that the world age was defined by jesus that Jesus coming into the world was going to be the the knee plus ultra, the predominant mythos that would carry out for the rest of the world age. And it is. It is. Jesus is obviously the most one of the most prominent, you know, whatever mythological figures or whatever you want to say across the world. Yes, you'll find Hinduism here and you'll find Mohammedism, you know, Islam over here and you'll find Taoism over here. But you know what you'll find in every country across the world? Christianity. Almost like predominantly. The United States, Canada, you know, you know, all the South America and that sort of stuff. You'll find a predominance of Christianity. Why? Because basically what they're saying is the world was made by him. The world age was being defined by Christ. Okay? This is what eschatology means. They say the end times. Well, the Greek words eschatos or karos, which translated literally mean to the end of an age. So ages are measured according to scripture with respect of God's plan of redemption. So basically what they're saying here in so many words is that the world was made by him. He entered into the world and the world age would be defined by what? The myth of Christos, the Christ myth. Okay? And this is, once again, the mythos of Jesus determines the world age. So this is what, which, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Why did the world not know him? Because obviously he had to come into the world because everything was screwed up. People were sinners, and they didn't have the light to guide them. They had been lost for so long that now they needed this you know, this being to show up and say, hey, this is the path. This is the way you got to do. And the first thing you got to do apparently is call out a bunch of Jews. I'm just saying. So, so he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. Now, when we talk about that, this, this idea that the world, oops, sorry, sorry, that the world age is defined by a sun god character and that these are retellings of these stories, this is exactly what we mean. There has always been a Christ. In every world age, and ever since the very dawn of time, and hence why they start in the beginning. Because they're here to tell you in so many words in the Bible that guess what? This shit's been going on since the very dawn of time. A sun god character has had to show up that is a representation of the perfection, is a representation, is in the sense, the Adam Kadmon has to show up and guide man. This is exactly why we find the sun god mythos or the solar, the great solar myth across the world. Because it doesn't matter what age, it does not matter what age that man lived in, there was a Christ. And now, when we understand it this way, and we bring this, we bring, you know, um, the symbolism in it, we bring the astrology in it, we bring the math in it, we bring the timeless nature of these stories, we have a connectivity. We do not have a separation. We have a recognition that the Christos has been with us the entire time and that that Christianity is not antithetical to a lot of these other religions. Okay? 
this is also why we can see and why we've covered in two whole books now. How many times, go back, right? You can watch the, uh, the, the astrology of the book of Mark if you want to see this. How many times, I mean, the stars above are even still given Grecian names, right? Cassiopeia and, you know, you know, whatever, uh, Hercules and all this other stuff, right? Why is it that all of these Christian stories, we can absolutely go back, go back and relate them to the Greek myths? Why can we do that? Because that's what they are. That's why we can go into these stories and say, hey, wait a second, this is talking about the damsel in distress in Draco. So was Andromeda. That's because the truth will forever exist, will forever be here. God's not going to create everything and make everything by him and then just be like, well, I'll just leave the truth in the gutter. No, it's always with us. doesn't matter what myth is predominant in time. Christ is there. And this is what we mean. Okay? This is exactly why St. John is, is maybe related directly to Orpheus. We can immediately see that a few strong connections can be made between the ever-beloved St. John the Baptist and the Greek god Orpheus. The first obvious, well, this is from um, my book, Scripture in the Stars. The first obvious one being their beheadings, both at the hands of daughters, with Orpheus beheaded by the daughters of Thrace and John beheaded at the, requ the request of Herod's stepdaughters. So, so when we say, hey, you know, the Christos has always been with us, it doesn't matter what world age it is. When Jesus, when the, when the Bible is basically determining this world age and what's going to happen in this world age, we can see it's a recapitulation or retelling of the, Christian, of the Greek myths and stuff like that. Then we see St. John is, is beheaded and that's exactly what we have with Orpheus by daughters. Both of them. Why? Because you're supposed to make the connection. That's why they put it in there. So there's Orpheus and there's St. John being beheaded. At the request of daughters. Okay? Doesn't stop just there, though. We can also clearly see that both of these characters have a strong connection to a divine song or eternal voice. The opening line of the book, as we're reading in the beginning, was the word. John announcing the eternal word that reverberates through all of creation. And Orpheus's powerful voice that moved every living thing. So here we have John announcing the word that is defined as being the power and source and divine energy behind everything that creates everything, that gives it purpose and form. And then we see Orpheus, hey man, you're doing the same shit. And it's all through what? A song, a voice, a word. John was also recognized as a fiery preacher, bowing energies, especially one with a loud voice. Again, echoing the power of Orpheus's song and voice. Everything moved to the sound of Orpheus's lyre, his harp, or his voice. Okay? Orpheus, in other words, was this, th that the creation was a song. It was a symphony. It was an orchestra. It wasn't a prison made by some, you know, malignant force. Okay? This is why it's so important to understand these myths. It actually gives you a whole lot of positivity. Many of us will remember the tale of Orpheus and Eur uh, Eur how you say that? Eurydice? 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 I can never say that. Anyway, um, from our childhood, embellishing the images of the tragic musician who could enchant the whole of creation with his music. Okay. So here we have John 
and Orpheus. And of course, this is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we read, what does St. John say in Revelation? To further make the connection that these are retellings of Grecian myths, and they're related to the stars. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters. He heard a voice, he heard the Word. As the voice of a great thunder, it was thunderous, because it reverberated through all things. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. This is St. John, in so many words, making it very clear that you are supposed to make the connection to Orpheus, the harp, the lyre that sang all of creation. Okay? And once again, it says, Jesus, he came into unto his own, and his own received him not. What is this a direct reference to? This has probably happened how many freaking million times throughout the creation that humanity was living in a, uh, a a world of of swine and mud and you know what I mean, just living in filth with their consciousness, with their morality, with their ethics and how they treated one another, right? And then somebody came along and was like, you guys are fucking it all up, right? And then those people were like, I don't want to do any self-reflection, so I'm just going to deny you. That happened, by the way, guys. That happens all the time in truth-seeking. I don't want to have to actually look into said argument or thing because then I'll have to do some self-reflection and then say, oh shit, maybe I was up shit creek for a while. Maybe I was wrong, right? This happens all the time. Of course, now they're specifically referring to our world age and our time period and who are the people that he came to and they received him not? The Jews. The Jews. That's who. Kind of having that problem today, aren't we? I think so. I'm pretty sure. So he came unto his own, his own people, and they're like, nope, we're going to reject you. Even though you fulfill the Messiah and the prophecy and everything down to a T, we're still going to reject you. But as many, but then it says this, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, comma, why did they receive him? Because they underwent the spiritual process of Kabbalah. Because that's exactly what Kabbalah is. Kabbalah is to receive. They received the Christ. As we're going to see next week, just as we read before in John 126, it says, ah, they were there was Christ standing in the midst of them or in the middle of them, and they knew him not. Why? Because they couldn't see him. They never actually received the spiritual teachings because they never put themselves on the course. They never accepted Jesus's internal ministry. Okay. He, he came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, comma, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Once again, there's the importance of the encoding of Jesus's name. Remember when we did the word that breaks all magic spells and we said, hey, it's Jesus. It's G literally Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, just as you say it in English, is a thing that breaks magic spells. Okay. And you have to believe on his name, not his life, not his, no, his name. Why his name? Once again, that's an encoding. That's a Kabbalistic encoding saying, hey, there's a bunch in there. And then they say, John is saying, hey, if you receive him, if you Kabbalistically have that reception of receiving the holy name of Jesus Christ, you will become the sons of God. Is it not written in your law, I said, thee are gods? That's what Jesus says, right? And then we're supposed to have some power. We're supposed to be like, oh, you know, like, like 
we're supposed to feel bad or about calling ourselves lower, you know, gods, sons of God. No, that's like literally that's the whole purpose for that inner light, that illumination, that chrism to rise to Aries, right? And believe on his Kabbalistically constructed masterwork of a name, end of story, full stop. John 1.13, which were born not of blood, not of blood, not of those chosen ones. That's what they're saying. We are the sons of God because we were born Jewish. Hmm. Hmm. No, that's not how it works. Not how it works. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are above the face of the earth. Were you the fewest of the people, right? They believe this literally and not mystically, and hence the problem. But, so, which were born not of blood, you don't get to be a son of God by inheritance of your of your genetics, okay? Or because you were born Cohen, okay? Nor of the will of the flesh. You can't will it into existence, by material things, nor of the will of man. Once again, you can't will it into existence. Be like, I'm going to become the son of God. No, it has to be received. It has to be given to you through what? The holy and great name, but of God. This is, my friends, Gnosticism. Gnosticism to a T, to a core, to the core of Gnosticism right here. We're, we're reaching. We don't worry about teachings of men. I don't give a shit about the teachings of men. We care about the teachings of God. We be able we we know that we can look at the flower and extract the essence and order and pattern and meaning right from God. Right from God. <clears throat> For he taught them as having one authority, not as the scribes. Once again, this is gnosis. These Gnostics, the various groups that believed all sorts of crazy shit, but ultimately what is the one thing that we all sort of agree on, right? Is that um, the Gnosis is personal spiritual knowledge above the authority of religious institutions because we recognize, as we've talked about before once again, why we're starting a cult here is because the authority of religious institutions, they don't know anything. They didn't have the Gnosis. Okay? It's an esoteric insight. Okay, it says this. <clears throat> John 1, 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we're saying that basically like, hey, at least in one aspect, this is a is an astrological story. It is a it is a um, uh, a mythology that is based at parabolically on the story and path of the sun. Okay, this is what we're saying. This is what we've been saying a long time. This is what Gnostics have been saying a long time, right? And so then we say, okay, we've held this glory, the glory of the only begotten Father. So this only begotten Father, allegedly, or this, I'm um, excuse me, this Father had only begotten one Son. What are we dealing with here? This is, once again, cosmological. All of these things have a reference to the stars. Who is the Father in heaven? That's God. That's where the Word came from, everything, right? It's the center of everything. It represents the center of you. What is it? It's Polaris, the Father in heaven. And, of course, there's only one begotten Son, is there not? There's only one. And what is that Son? Once again, when we look at just the phonetics, it, they tell you. It's not, even, it's not even a real mystery there, right? You know? 
So we have the Father in heaven that represents the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, right? This, I'm not that light. Uh, I'm just there to witness that light because that light's the freaking thing that's beyond everything, right? Can't even describe it, okay? Then gives one son, begets one son. And what is it? It's the son. Now, once again, are these separate? No, they're all in one system, all begotten by one father, which has one church, there's one creation, one creation story, and they're part of the Trinity, right? Which means ultimately, according to the Trinitarian doctrine in the very book we're reading, those two become one. Okay? Now, it's interesting that they say, even says here, let's read this. Um, we'll get to the word made flesh in just a second here. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. When you look up the word beget or begotten, it's typically of a man, sometimes of a man and a woman, bring a child into existence. So it's give rise, bring about, right? And we're going to find later that it's actually begotten, that this Jesus lives in the bosom of this Father. Bosom is a reference to a woman. Literally. Okay. So all of a sudden, this father is has Jesus in his bosom. What? Why is God all of a sudden a female too now? I don't. I I'm getting a little confused. That's because God is both male and female. He's hermaphroditic and beyond the the genders as we talked about. Why did God have to beget only one begotten Son, and it has to come from God? Why cannot God? Why does God not need another being to procreate with? Because the first being must sire alone because it comes from all one. If you get what I'm saying there. The first being is alone and the first being is all one, if you will. And so what are we dealing with? In the number line, what are we dealing with? Zero and then one. We can't have in the beginning was zero, then two and then one and then four and then three. No, doesn't work that way. There's a sequential order to the number line and there's a sequential order to how our cosmology manifested, okay? Based on numbers, has to, there can't be a procreation in the beginning. It has to come from one source because all we have to do is literally look at our number line, which has been put right in front of us, okay? Everybody get that? Now it says, the now the word made flesh. I want to show you guys this. So this is some more math here. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Oh, do I have this here? Oh, I do. Okay. And the word was made flesh. This is the, the right up to the, you know, this is a very famous sort of saying. And, and the word was made flesh, comma, right? This equals 86. Once again, what, what does 86 mean? Right. This is where your study of number comes in. Elohim. That's Elohim right there, which is the name of God that's given to you in Genesis 1-1 in the original Hebrew. Okay? So when we're saying, hey, this word, the word was with God and word was God. In Genesis 1-1, they give you a specific name of God, a very specific name of God. That specific name of God is Elohim. Elohim is an anagram for pi. If you just reduce those numbers, you get 31415 right there. We're not going to get into that. Everybody see that? Aleph, 1. Lamed, 30. Comes, one, or comes 3. He is 5. Remains 5. Yod is 10. 
And then, what is it? Elohim. M, that's mem, equals 40. That reduces down to 4. So that's 86. Okay. Encodes pi. Anagram for pi. 80, what's funny is 86 times pi, and this is something we've covered too. This is uh, 86 times pi is 270. See it on the bottom there? There's Elohim. There's the Gematria value of Elohim, the very name of God that's given to you in Genesis 1.1. And 86 times pi is 270. Do you know what the word multiplied is? The word? It's 270. Okay, who gives a shit? Why is this important? Because as we covered before, 270 represents birth. It represents birth. It's the roughly the number of days that you spend in your mother's womb. Gestation, and this is what we're talking about, birth. Gestation takes approximately 270 days. Of course, when we're talking about Kabbalah, what's the corner of a, you know, of a cube, if you will, that angle of a two-dimensional square, if you will, 270 degrees. And so you can find that 270 in the corner of a room, 90 degrees, 90 degrees, 90 degrees. And what does that give you? 270. So when they're saying, and the word was made flesh, they're encoding in multiple ways. In the original Greek, in, or the, excuse me, in the original Hebrew Elohim, and in the word, the very process of rebirth, if you will. Birth. Okay? Now it says here, let's go back. So that's all in the name, in the word, and Elohim. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now when we understand that the, the being is a reflection, as we covered, you are a microcosm of the macrocosm, as above, so below, right? That you are a reflection, axis mundi, of the entire creation. Okay? So in this sense, when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, right, lived among us, when you look out into the world and you see everything, what are you looking at? A, fra a, a larger fractal of, of the word, if you will. And what are, what are you doing? You're beholding the glory. That's what you're doing. Of God in everything. Okay? The word was made flesh. Now, assume everybody just assumes that that means, oh, the, this, this word became a human being and that's all it means. No, it's not all it means. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, actually, that, that it can have multiple meanings. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, bodies that have flesh. That's what it's saying. That's what this whole thing is talking about. And bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So when it says, the word became flesh, and we understand, well, the word comes from the Father. The Father's in the center. That's Polaris. And then we say that the word is the sun, literally the sun. And then we say, hey, it became flesh so that we could all sit there in glory and it dwelt among us and look at it. That son has been given a body, according to Corinthians, and it has a different kind of flesh, according to Corinthians, not Marty Leeds. So when it says, and, God, and the word was made flesh, people just assume that, oh, this is all it's talking about is the fleshly vehicle of a human being. No, no, it's not.
Now, once again, it isn't to say that there wasn't a being in whom this stuff is, is uh, based on, right? That's not what it's saying. But when we go to Scripture, does that mean that we're reading a history book? No. Okay? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John Bear, there he is again. John Bear, witness of him, and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake when I spake the word, right? He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. What is this? Wait a second. And he says this multiple times in this chapter. He says, That cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. What is John doing right now? He's establishing himself in the center of the Trinity. John bare witness of him <laughs> and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me. Now, this is the saying that Jesus was, in this sense, born after John, but then also that he is preferred before me and he was before me. So what was so what is Jesus? So Jesus is the past. He came after him. And then, but also he came before him. And then John, him, in the sense is in the middle. He's in the present of Christ. The gift, the Kabbalistic reception of Christ. Now, also when it says that he came before me, so this is the Trinity. This is him expressing yet again. You see, when we said before, it's like all things were made and not anything was made that was made by God, right? And then we said all oh, that gematria is the Trinity multiplied. 1 times 3, and 3 times 3 is 9, and 9 times 3 is 27, 27 times 3 is 81, 81 times 3 is 243. It's all Trinitarian. Then we have John speaking directly about the word, and what does he give you? Before and after, and John smack dab in the middle of it. It's Trinitarian. You can't possibly understand any of this stuff without the Trinity. Okay? Also, what does he say? Let's, let's read this again. It's he that cometh after me, so this is Jesus being born after John, is preferred before me, for he was before me. What is he saying? That he existed before him. Who is this? This is the Adam Kadmon. This is the first being in creation that every single one of these sun gods that we see across time are based on. The Adam Kadmon. In the Kabbalistic doctrine, the name given to the first emanation from the eternal fountain. So we talk about that eternal fountain and the first emanation. And what is that emanation? It's Christ, right? And who is he? He is, as we know, the second Adam. Okay? So when John is saying, ah, this is the guy that came after me, he's preferred before me, he was before me. Why was he before me? Because he was the first being. And of course, the Adam Kadmon is the ideal, it's the perfect man. Now, through the Jews, we had a corrupted one. We had a guilt. We had one that was guilty and full of condemnation and separation and death and all this other stuff. Very Jewy, Adam. With our Christ, we have no guilt, no condemnation, no separation, and life eternal. Okay? Manly Palmer Hall says this about exactly what we're saying about the Word, exactly what we're saying about Christ, exactly what we're saying about the anthropocosm. He's saying the exact same thing. You'll find this littered throughout mysticism. The human body, like that of the universe, is considered to be a material expression of ten globes or spheres of light. That is the ten emanations of God. 
Therefore, man is called the microcosm, the little world built in the image of the great world of which he is a part. The tree, the Sephirothic tree, is sometimes depicted as a human body, thus more def definitely establishing the true identity of the first or heavenly man, the Adam Kadmon. Why did there have to be a second Adam, of course, to replace the first one? Because the first one is corrupted. Okay? This is this, and this is this Adam Kadmon ideal, as we've talked about before. Once again, this is not just as, just like the word. It was like, oh, the word is, where is that found? In the Christian doctrine, right? Or the Torah or something. No, it's found around, literally around the world. Same thing with the Adam Kadmon, a being that represents the first ideal perfected man in creation that unifies all. It has to be, has to have a oneness to it, okay? And as you can see, like the, even the rebus there, everything's connected to him. You see that? The stars are connected. The sun and the moon is connected to him. He's standing on the dragon. Is the you know that sort of thing. So this is the one being, okay? Corpus Hermeticum. Once again, hermeneutics is what we're using to decipher this Bible. This comes from the folk etymology of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus had this to say about the word the Logos. He called it the frame divine man. With reason, logos, not with hands, meaning this was metaphysical. It's not a physical being. Did the world maker make the universal world so that thou should think of him as everywhere and ever being? The author of all things and one and only who by his will all beings hath created. Once again, his will. There's no demiurge here. There's no, you know, uh, you know there's four steps down from God. This thing made the earth. It's not the case. The body of him is a thing no man can touch or see or measure, a body inextensible like to no other frame. Tis neither fire nor air nor water nor breath, yet all of them come from it. Now being good, he willed to consecrate this body to himself alone and set it, set its earth in order and adorn it. So down to earth he sent this. Once again, they say the body you can't touch and see and measure it. They're giving you the distinctions that the fact that this is the other, the out, the, there's no name, there's no number, there's no symbol. You're, all your words are going to fail, right? Then he said from this, he sent down a body of the logos of the word to earth. So down to earth, he sent the cosmos of this frame divine man. That frame divine man is the anthropocosm. It is the, you know, the, the zodiac man. A life that cannot die, and yet a life that does die. What does this mean? We all have our end. This is temporary here. What did we talk about, though? That soul within. Is it eternal? Yes, it is. And over all other lives and over cosmos, too, did man excel by the reason of the reason, the logos, and the mind. For contemplator of God's work did man become. He marveled and did strive to know their author. And when you strive to know your author, you're on the pursuit of Gnosticism. You're on the pursuit of gnosis because you want to know you don't want your understanding of god to be given to you by a bunch of men in you know long robes that don't have a damn clue that the basics of the four gospels are based on the seasons and then it repeats exactly what hermes said exactly what john said did i miss one hold on before I get yapping, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. No, I didn't. John 1.16, and of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. Of his fullness, he, ful he fulfills everything in the creation with himself. And from this, we have received, we have Kabbalistically received that. 
and grace for grace. They mentioned grace twice, right? Then it says this, and this is, this is really what it's all about, right? For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The first time Jesus Christ is mentioned in the book of John here is in chapter 17. Jesus Christ equals 59. Do you know what 59 is? It's the 17th prime number. So the first time you hear Jesus Christ is in chapter 17. His name, they even tell you, it's like, if you've got to believe on his name, and then they don't tell you what his name is for freaking, you know, eight more verses or whatever it is, right? And so the first time they give you the name Jesus Christ, it's in, it's in verse 17. Jesus Christ equals 59. It's the 17th prime. And then it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This is, this is so important because when you look, it's like, well, the law was given by Moses. This is what a lot of like the, the like, um, Sabbath keepers and that sort of stuff they do is like, well, I follow the law. Is Moses brought the law. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? You know what else he did? Moses wrote all that stuff on tablets and then broke them all because people that he wrote them for didn't follow it. Righteous people don't need the law written down on tablets. Do you get up in the morning and be like, oh, I got to search through the Constitution to see what I can do today. I got to like go climb through the state laws to find out how I should be morally and ethically today. No. Righteous people don't need a bunch of shit written down and say, do this. This is what the rest of the Bible actually talks about in the fact that it's like it's in the spirit, not or it's in the, you know, it's in the spirit, not in the letter, right? It's because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth. We see grace and truth. We don't seek to simply just follow the law. Moses had to bring the law because those people were so effed up, they couldn't even understand basic morality. Okay? So Moses comes and is like, you got to at least do this stuff. They didn't even do that. And then he got so pissed off, he broke the tablets. Then Jesus had to come to establish the next world age and be like, you guys screwed it all up. I'm going to be here. And now it's not just about uh, the law. It's about truth. It's about grace and truth. Righteous people live the law normally. They don't need a law book to be like, oh, don't kill. Don't have sex with your your." neighbor's wife. Don't kill people. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was going to do that today, but then I read Moses. No, right? We don't seek just basic shit written on laws. We seek grace and truth in this life. Okay. And that's what it's saying. <laughs> the law is not good enough. We need somebody to direct us. We need a light in the world to show us that pattern in that way. Okay. So then it says, let's see this. Um, the um, mysticism, this is, comes from Mystic Christ again. Mysticism is not nourished by the clash of creeds. The mystic has passed through the experience of sectarianism without finding solace in the comfort. In, excuse me, solace in the confusion. The mystic has passed through the experience of sectarianism without finding solace in the confusion. Amen. He neither criticizes nor condemns those who are working out their salvation according to the dictates of the individual or collective conscious, but seeks a more intimate experience of the Christian mystery. His heart, his heart tells him that he must live the life if he is to know the doctrine. You have to live the life in order to know the doctrine. Okay, and who? what is that? Well, a bunch of stuff written down? No, your heart tells you that. Argument this is why it's so funny. All the ortho bros and all the argument bros, all the debate bros online. This this line is directly for them. The people that are out debating this stuff all the time. Argument is most general among those of little faith. 
<laughs> Manly Palmer Hall just freaking crushing it. To conform or to accept with the mind requires slight effort and brings only slight reward. The secrets of the heavenly kingdom are reserved for those who keep the laws of that kingdom. The laws ultimately are expressed through grace and truth. From the beginning of the Christian dispensation, there have been a few accepted the life of Jesus as a magnificent example of the spiritual conduct. It never occurred to them to ask whether Jesus lived or not. It doesn't even matter. They knew that he exemplified a way of life which led to a spiritual integrity and personal security. And that's what it's all about. So, um, grace and truth, we have to live it. We can't just talk it. We have to live it, and it has to come straight from our heart. That's what Christ is all about. And then it says this, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. Once again, when you say bosom, it's like, wait, wait a second, wait, isn't bosom, uh, wait a second, that's a woman's chest. <laughs> what is the Adam Cadmon? Man and woman. Then this, this only begotten Son comes straight from what? God. And so what is that a reflection of? The, the fact that God is, in the actual God is beyond gender, beyond male and female. Combines both. Okay? So hence he's the bosom. Wait, what? Why is the, why does the father have breasts now? <laughs> Same thing as, well, I guess we could just say this. Why does, why does, why does Rebus have boobs? And it's a man. Ugh. What else is bosom saying, though? In, you could say, archaic or literary form, it also means the breast, the soul, the heart. The heart. Okay? So when it says, ah, in the Father, in the bosom of the Father, it's in the heart of the Father. And that's exactly what they were just talking about. Okay? Then it says, no man hath seen God at any time. Wait, what? Wait, what? Wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. John 1.18 just says that no man hath seen God at any time. But wait a second. Don't we have a contradiction here? Because didn't we just go over the fact that it said multiple times that John bear witness of him? No contradictions in the Bible. What? What? It's in the same chapter. John bear witness of him, and then he bear witness of him, and then he bear witness of him. And then three lines later, no man hath seen God at any time. Can you say contradiction? I mean, you can't contradict anymore. What are they saying? Whenever there's a contradiction, there's a greater understanding to be held. Have we talked about that before? Yes, we have. We've covered this. What does it mean? John bear witness of him. No man hath seen God at any time because God is ultimately not physical. How can you bear witness to God but not see him? You do not see him with your physical eyes. So when John is saying, I'm bearing witness to Christ, and then you're going to find out that he's saying, oh, Christ was in the midst of these guys, and they didn't see him at all. They, they knew him not. Why? Because they didn't receive the Kabbalistic reception. They did not see him because they did not undergo the spiritual work. John bear witness of him. But you haven't seen God. Huh? How did, how did John see God with the third eye? The light that, you know, that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, that thing within you, right? Matthew 6, 22 is it, right? The single eye, if the eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Okay? Hence why the contradiction, people will see a contradiction in the Bible, 
They'll and and you know with their absolute ignorance of basic literature, throw out the whole thing. Be like the Bible's got contradictions. It's like yeah, it does for a good reason. And then you'll find the you know people that study the Bible say there's no contradictions in the Bible. It's like you can't read. We have a serious problem going on here. I would say right. So yeah, no, you can't. You no God, no man has seen God at any time, with physical eyes. No, that's not a thing. Okay. All right. And then John 1.19, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who art thou? Who art thou? Who are the Levites? Right? So the priests, of course, the priests we know, the priests are the ones that are going to, are supposed to be the ones to be like, oh, we know who the Messiah is, right? Like, we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to identify the Messiah when he shows up. So you just like, oh, who's, oh, well, let me go and check this guy out, right? And then they couldn't see him, right? So they're called the Levites. What does it mean to levy? It's an act of levying, a raising, or collecting of a tax, a debt, or a fine. So the root of the word Levites is that. To raise or to collect, not having a much weight, and by not having what much weight, what they mean is it's frivolous. That's what it is. Levity means want of seriousness or frivolity, right? So not having having little weight, light-mindedness, it's frivolous, that sort of thing. So in other words, these priests, these Jewish priests that were coming to see if this was the man, and you know, to challenge what you know, all this other stuff. They, they also came with some people who had who were frivolous spiritually, if you will. And then they're saying, who are, who are you, John? Who are you? And he confessed and denied, uh, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And that's what we, t- we talked about before. Of, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, Levi, by the way, is one of the most common surnames of a Jewish person. So that after Cohen... And I don't know if you know what Cohen is a at least in masonry, it's a it's a derivation of Cowan, which means basically a fraud. It's a it's a fraudulent mason, and it's based on one of the most it's like the Smith or Johnson of like white people, right, or Jewish people, right? So Cohen and Levy, and Levy means to be frivolous or tax people, <laughs> and that's the most common name for a Jew. Okay, so he says. I am not the Christ. And he was like, well, wait, what? And I was, wait, what? Right? And they asked him, well, what then? Art thou Elias? Aren't you Elias? Because Elias is the one that's supposed, oh, Elias, Elias, we're setting the seated cedar so that you can announce the Messiah. You're not, are you him? So you're not the Christ. Are you Elias? And he saith, I am not. No, I'm not Elias. Art thou the prophet? And he answered, no, no, I'm not. I'm not Christ. I'm not Elias. I'm not the prophet. I'm not even John. Right? When then they said unto him, John 1, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thy, what do you say about yourself? Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? In other words, they answer to men. Which is exactly the opposite of Gnosis. Gnosis, we answer to God. We learn from God. We understand that everything is once again imbued with God. What did these Jews that are going to come and ultimately, you know, end up killing Christ and rejecting Christ and, you know, persecuting him and all this other stuff, who do they answer to? According to them, men, men, the teachings 
of men. For he, Jesus, taught them as having the one authority of the great triune God that is beyond the beyond the beyond and not as the scribes teach. And these are the scribes and they're teaching the shit of men, which means just like your modern Christian pastors, they didn't have the gnosis. They didn't have it. They didn't understand any of it. And that's why they couldn't see Christ, ultimately. And they asked him, are you Elias? Are you John? Who are you? Christ? Who are you? What do you say of yourself, the Saint Johnny boy? And John 123 says, I am, he says. I am. That's what he responds to. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the process, the, the excuse me, the prophet of Esaias, right? When he says, what is he saying? I am. He's like, I'm not John. I'm not this guy. I'm not Elias. I'm not the Christ, anything like that. I am what? We've talked about this before. We explained this almost exactly to a T. I think, in, I think this was from the book of, maybe it was Matthew, maybe Mark. I'm not exactly sure. We talked about what is that Lord? That Lord is the Christ that's within you. That's the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Okay? God surrounding all things. I am, when you say I am, what do you, well, I'm Bobby Knight, I'm Tammy Tambo, I'm Alicia Dixon, I'm a Jenny 8675309, I'm John Johnson, I'm Prince, right? When we talked about, this is, a, this is a graphic I grabbed from one of the other <laughs> live streams that we did, one of the sermons. St. John, Elias, is, no, 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 he's none of those things. What he represent, what he's recognizing is he is what? I am the voice. I am that. I am that which is the beyond the beyond. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Okay? What is the wilderness? That's the stars. That's this whole thing is astrological and it's representing the fact of what? That this, the, the stars above are the wilderness. It's an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region where people don't exist. People don't live. That's what wilderness is. Okay? So he's this St. John, Scorpio, crying out in the stars to all the stars, saying, saying what? I am the voice. I am one with the voice that creates and moves and everything. One, John one twenty four and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. So these people that came and sent and were questioning John about everything, they were Pharisees. And what are Pharisees? Well, according to the etymology, the Pharisees are a member of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance but regarded as pretentious and self-righteous, according to the etymology. They're separated. They're separatists. Any self-righteous person, formulist, hypocrite, scrupulous, or ostentatious observer of the outward forms of religion without regarding its inward spirit. They're separatists. They separate. They're pretentious and self-righteous. They're all about themselves and they're separate. What is John saying? He's unified. The exact opposite. No, I'm one with the voice that is one with all things. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not self-righteous. In fact, when you ask me what my name is, I didn't even say myself. I didn't even say John or Elias or a prophet at all. I said, no, I'm one with the voice that has created and moved all things. And 
that voice is what lifts you up into heaven to become a good bard. Okay, thank you guys so much for your time today. I really appreciate all the people that uh, do stop by and watch. If you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. You can become a Phoenix bird and a Keyleth bird, Cygnus bird, or you can become Time of the Pete, my bird. And uh, next week we'll finish up this uh, chapter, and hopefully we'll get through all the Book of John. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be. So um, if you'd like to support the work we do, um, 7781 County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And, of course, we have Cash App, Buy Me a Coffee, Venmo, and PayPal and all that other stuff. And we keep going with your support. And so we do appreciate your support. We really do. Um, and where else are we? What are we doing? Oh, my God. I lost my, I lost my way. Here we go. Uh, we are streaming, too. Um, YouTube, Rockfin, and Rumble. And of course, you can get the podcast in all the podcasting places. And thank you to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute. And we do have a, a thing at Rockfin. Uh, we have a, a place for members at Rockfin if you'd like to uh, see archive videos and documentary films and all that sort of stuff. And of course, we do have lots of documentaries. And uh, another one that's coming out this next week, Wednesday, it looks like. And that's happening. So, uh, Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. You can get us on the app. Um, Sunday sermons are on there, so check that out. And we also have the church store where we have books and music and rosaries and Bibles and all that fun stuff if you would like to support what we do. So um, I'm going to say thank you to uh, some good people. Teague Mackin, love you, Teague. Thank you so much. Bruce Hutton, good as always. The world is full of evil, but the light will come through, I believe so, for the sake of my great-grandkids. Yes, that's right, Bruce Hutton. Thank you so much. Um, nice book. Um, we'll order one for my grandkids, and that's um, Little Simon Petey and the Amazing Adventures of Grandpapa. Only one is old enough for it now, but they grow fast. Uh, Hope Johnson just sent us a letter. Thank you so much. Hope we received your letter. Thank you. Gen X Rated, that was for last week. Leah Steele, thank you so much, Leah. We love you. Franklin C. Russell, Dennis Nalissi, Chris Neifer, Counterculture, Gavin Ross, Leap CEO, Marshall Watson, thank you so much. Lawrence J. Latempio, thank you, Marty and Jen. Peace. Jeremy Hines, Happy rising, my friends. Refusal to believe until proof is given is a rational position. Denial of all outside of our own limited experience is absurd. Annie Besant. Uh, Leah Steele. Love from John and Leah. Thanks for the travel. Eugene Jocks. Once again, thank you so much. Julie Pradal. Love you guys and thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. We love you. Janine M. Grassi. Thank you so much. Ray Brackman. Uh, the Astrology of Mark was excellent. Thank you so much. I'm glad you went back and looked at some of that stuff. The best cult ever, Daniel Hager says. Boom. Uh, Alicia Crawford, thanks so much. Truth Seeker, here in spirit. Thank you. Janine M. Grassi, again. Thank you so much. Ray Brackman, again. Jared Poole. Mr. Poole, thank you so much. Angie Abel. Uh, Spencer Thurman, enjoying Sunday service. Thank you. I'm glad you guys do enjoy this. I know it's a it's intense study and takes a lot of patience and time and you have to sit through things. And so I appreciate anybody that actually does show up. Thank you for all the work you're doing at this church. And it is a lot of work. Thank you. You're welcome. God bless. Anna Medina, Alex Meter. Good to see you both. Thank you, brother. Billy, Bill Christie said a little something for the virtual basket. Thanks for your great work. Thank you so much. Andrew Masonette, keep up the good knowledge. Karen B. What's up, Karen B.? Some guy's name in Russian that says this. The problem, Bernard, is that what you and I do is so complicated. We practice witchcraft. We speak the right words. Then we create life itself out of chaos. Dr. Robert Ford, Westworld, Westward Season 1. Thanks for your service, Marty. No problem. Small Axe, good to see you. Thanks, M&J. I do enjoy what you do there at the Gnostic Academy. Thank you so much. Karen B., thank you so much, Broken Bear. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you guys allowing us to keep going. Um, I uh, We really appreciate it. We, we would like to keep doing this, and so it's it means the world to us. So, okay, that's going to do it. Um, we will see you guys next week. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. 
Amen. We're going to listen to another Ryan Adams song called Speeding Car off the record uh, Star Sign. And it's such a great song. He's got so many dang good songs. So anyway, we will see you guys next Sunday. We'll, we'll continue on with, the I think, the Book of John. And um, yeah, we'll just keep rocking. So we appreciate you all. Um, you all have a wonderful week, and we just love you so much, all right? God bless each and every one of you. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Thinking about